Warning, this podcast contains heavy spoilers for not just one movie, but entire franchises. We highly recommend going and watching these movies before listening to us as a companion piece that stitches all the timelines into one creepy, crime-ridden story. There will be no more spoiler warnings. We do not break character. After this, there is no turning back. You've been warned. Hit the music. You are talking about the nonsensical ravings of a lunatic mind. It's alive! It's alive! It's alive! is selling fish on a corner. To get his customer's attention, he is yelling, damn fish for sale, get your damn fish here. A pastor hears this and asks, why are you calling them damn fish? The boy responds, because I caught these fish at the local dam. The pastor buys a couple of fish, takes them home to his wife and asks her to cook the damn fish. <laughs> the wife responds surprised, I didn't know it was acceptable for a preacher to speak that way. He explains to her why they are the damn fish. Later at the dinner table, he asks his son to pass the damn fish. <laughs> he responds, that's the spirit, Dad. Now pass the fucking potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> this one's my favourite. This is the one I was laughing at earlier that I wouldn't tell you. <laughs> Josie wasn't the best pupil at, at Sunday school. She often fell asleep. And one day, while she was sleeping, the teacher asked her, her a question. Who is the creator of the universe? Joe was sitting next to Josie and decided to poke her with a pin to wake her up. Josie jumped and yelled, God Almighty! The teacher congratulated her. A little later, the teacher asked her another question. Tell me who is our Lord and Saviour? Joe poked Josie again and she yelled out, Jesus Christ! The teacher congratulated her again. Later on, the teacher asked, What did Eve say to Adam after her 26th child? Joe poked Josie again and she shouted if you stick me with that thing again I'll snap it in half and stick it up your ass <laughs> oh god how the teacher reacted <laughs> hello and welcome to it's alive alive podcast this is a true crime paranormal interstellar podcast breaking down unbelievable stories that sound like they were ripped straight from the pages of a Hollywood script I'm your host, the man of many names, the outlaw Harley Ray, the bruiser Bronson, Dr. HR, Smokenstein, THC, or you can just call me Josh for short. And with me as always is my very own Scream Queen, the perfect combination of beauty and brains, the gorgeous, the sexy Amy Rose. Amy, how's your week been? <laughs> Boy. It was fine. For everybody else, we have been out doing this for Mm. two weeks now. Yeah. For us, this is release week, first episode. Uh This is launch week. After like. Fuck me, the anxiety is is pretty hardcore. I wasn't expecting it. Mm -mm. Do you know? I mean, we've done stuff like this before. You've done stage stuff before. I've been in a band. I've been a wrestler. We've performed in front of live people. Never had that anxiety. No, no, no. But see, I think because of the live audience, you you get an instant feedback. Here, you're 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 talking to silence. (laughs) You're talking to a wall. And that's it. We've had months to look over and over. And it's like, and then to be fair, 
I look at it and like the first episode I'm really happy with. Mm. The third episode I'm pretty happy with. Yeah. The second episode, because we had so much trouble with it, it feels like the Frankenstein episode. Because yeah. we had we had to record that like four or five times over. And that is a combination of like four or five different recordings because stuff kept getting corrupted. Our laptop was shit. Mm-hmm. And we like rushed, panicked our intro record again just before launch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a lot of nonsense roaring at the Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and that's another thing I noticed. I curse way too much. But I think, mm-hmm. I think, I will tone it down a little bit. But I think I curse a lot as a way of dealing with anxiety. I don't know. Oh, I, yeah. yeah. It's almost like. Do you know when people like have a sigh of relief or a sigh just to like de-stress? It's like sometimes when I curse, it's it's. I'm less angry. Yeah, it allows me yeah. to de-stress. Yeah. And I know sometimes it can sound over the top, so mm-hmm. I'm going to tone that back and chill out. But yep. we do have an explicit explicit sticker on this show, so I mean, but We're at the same time, yeah. I will try and be professional. It's women listening. And that's what we want to do, you know. I mean, like, there's going to be missteps. We're going to be making mistakes. That was another source of anxiety this week. Mm. I thought when we picked the horror genre, right, mm-hmm. that would that would basically mean people close to us, like our family, probably wouldn't listen because they're not into horror. And it would give us enough time to make some mistakes. And then when we were successful, they'd be like, oh, we better go listen to this. And then we'd be fine. But we have a very supportive family, apparently. And a lot of people from Kerry and our home area have listened. Yeah. And now you realize that they're listening to us making those mistakes rather than... And they can be <laughs> over, oh, yeah. and over yeah. and over. Well, it's like what I said to you earlier on. I was like, you got to look at it one way. When you're trying to do something, there's only two, two you know, endings. Yeah. We're rather going to succeed or we're going to learn. We're yeah. never going to lose as long as we're trying. Yeah. So at the moment, people are going to have to watch us do a lot of learning. And you know, every now and again, we're going to succeed. And eventually, if we keep trying at this, we're going to get better and we're going to get better. And there will be more succeeds yeah. in, the success, in the succeed pile than there will be in the learning pile. Yeah. <laughs> do you know? Yeah. So people just need to stick with us. <laughs> Unless you're talking And the quality will get better over time. Do you know, we're, we're trying to invest more and more on yeah. what we're getting here. Do you know? Yeah, I think we so, should just keep it simple. Yeah, at the moment. Because our <laughs> shitty little Chromebook can't really handle any of the equipment I'm buying for it. Nope. <laughs> so every, I mean, yeah, it's just making stuff sound worse rather than better. The best sounding episode was the first, the first episode. One. And I didn't have very much to, to work with yeah. with that. You know? So yeah, keeping it simple no there was another thing as well we were talking about right that with all this kind of like uh, anxiety about this mm. and uh, you know the anxiety you're like a ball of energy and you're thinking about everything too much and we're worried about our censorship on this what we should say what we shouldn't say do you know when yeah. we're talking about this now again we said we will be respectful from here you know going forward we kind of have, have we uh, not been respectful no oh, no okay. we're terrible people I'm sorry. But, but you know just in case okay we're trying to be respectful mm-hmm. we're trying to have fun so we're not going to censor ourselves too much, do you know? Mm. We're going to just kind of go with the flow and have fun, and people just need to look at it that way. Yeah. It is fun. If you don't like what you hear, go, just don't listen. Because at <laughs> the end of the day, do you know, if we could make something successful out of this, great. Yeah. But like I said to you earlier, it was like the thing of, I have those um, books outside, that my gra- the manuscripts my grandfather was writing, mm. of his memoirs. Mm. And like, there's so many rough drafts of them that there's loads of copies of there. There's a few copies lying around. But I like having one and I read it and I get to read about his, his life, yeah. you know, from his perspective. Yeah. And it's awesome to have that. And then we're doing this and it would be like, it'd be cool to have like 
hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of listeners. And I mean, the first week we got a fair few listeners, did, and I mean, a fair few yeah. countries, and surprised us, and it's yeah. cool. And Dublin <laughs> seems to fucking love us. It's a great song, man. But <laughs> I would keep doing this if we had no listeners. Because oh, we're having fun doing yeah. it, and in like 80, 90, 100 years time, when we're not here, and our, our great grandkids are like, yeah. do you know, because you get you're into genealogy, and mm. you love looking into all that kind of stuff. I love reading like my grandfather's stuff and all yeah. that, and he listen to stories about yeah. old stories about the family. That our great grandkids and our great great grandkids can go back, find these, listen to us talk like raving lunatics, and be like, <laughs> our fucking great grandparents were mad, <laughs> you know? And then they hear us tell them a scary story as they're going to sleep or something, you know? Yeah. And it, uh, it's a bit of fun, and that's awesome, yeah. like, you know? So that's kind of why I'm doing this as well, you know? And I think. That's nice. Hi, kids. That's it. <laughs> and because there probably might be kids listening, I suppose I should explain something else. The Smokenstein name. <laughs> okay. oh. The good name of Smokenstein needs to be. <laughs> explain. Yeah, well, explain. We'll so, again, I've been a wrestler. Mm. I've been president of a motorcycle club. Mm. I have been in a band. Mm-hmm. I've run a tattoo studio. I've managed to have kind of different nicknames in every one of those scenarios and different kind of personas in all those scenarios. I mean, you know, wrestling, it comes naturally, that's what you do. But as I kind of grew older and I was in all these different parts of my life, I mm. had kind of a different nickname and a different thing going with it. Mm. And when we were coming up with this, mm. we were watching um, WKRP in Cincinnati. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's an old yeah. show about a radio station in Cincinnati. It's really funny. And in it, you got Dr. Johnny Fever, Dr. Johnny Thunder, mm. whatever he wants to call himself. Fever. So I was like, well, no, Thunder is another one as well. Oh. He's got loads of them. But... um. So I was like, I'm dead set. I'm going with the doctor as the gimmick this time. Mm. And I was trying to think of something with Frankenstein because it's alive, alive. And then for some reason, Mike, my friend, who passed away, I don't know, eight, nine years ago? No, mm. a long time ago. But, yeah. you know, he's someone who pops into my head fairly regularly and he makes me laugh. And for some reason, he popped into my head and the word Smokenstein popped into my head. <laughs> no, I know there's some people rolling their eyes and they're saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I know, all right? Uh-huh. <laughs> I am what I am too but I, 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 that made me think of him yeah. and I thought fuck it I'm going to use that name right, yeah. because it's a funny gimmick and every time I say it it makes me think of him and I think about him a lot anyway we've all said it like all the old guys that used to be in the club with us and he wasn't a part of our club but he was kind of like a mentor for me yeah. when I joined, got into the motorcycle scene mm. and he was like he wasn't affiliated, affiliated with any club and he just kind of took me under his wing and he you know gave me advice advice i'd never listened to and then i'd have to go back and apologize to him and listen to him again (laughs) but you know after he passed away we always said he was someone that would pop into our mind just like even to this day weekly yeah at least once a week he'll you know pop into my head and i think about you know and uh so it was just something that i was like yeah i'm gonna go with that that's a cool name Uh, it's a funny name and it reminds me of him so Anyone that wants to be a stick in the mud about it can suck it. Moving on. <laughs> and I've had on, I've said as well mm. openly mm. that my stance when it comes to drugs is I think all resources should go to fucking getting all that chemical shit off the street. Oh, yeah. Every yeah. bit of it. Because it ruins families, it fucks shit up for people, it does, it, it's a terrible, terrible thing. Mm. Now, botanists, on the other hand, who are trying to make people feel a little bit better, a little bit healthier, a little bit happier, you keep doing what you have to do. And do you know? <laughs> I'm going to say, well, we're going to go on a Fred Durst quote. Just keep on rolling, man. 
Very circular right now. Yeah. Fucking date me. Two thousands. I had fun doing the rolling, rolling, rolling dance here one day. I think like another part of doing this podcast for us as well is showing a bit of our personality off, a bit more of our personality off yeah. to, I mean, I think we might be quiet sometimes when we're around certain people. Yeah. yeah I mean, give us a bottle of whiskey okay. and we'll get loud. Okay. <laughs> 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 You'll hear about it then. But, you know, sometimes we can be a bit, and we can be a quiet. bit withdrawn. I mean, yeah. we, we like to just hang Depends out at home Depends on the time of day we're doing stuff with it. Yeah, how lazy we, <laughs> lazy we are, is it? <laughs> But it's just another way for us to kind of show people what we're into, maybe make them more comfortable around us when they see us and they can talk to us as well, like, you know, because you know straight away what we're kind of about. I would agree with that. And we are like, very chilled out people and we suck when it comes. And I said it in the ad as well that we have for social media. We're terrible at social media yeah. kind of stuff, yeah. you know? Yeah. We are a very in-person kind of thing and chill out, have a drink, have a cup of tea with us, you know, and have yeah. a chat. Yeah. So, but we're trying. So uh, on that note, that's why I picked this thing today. Mm. Well, I picked this for two reasons. Okay. One reason is this is a story about like um, paganism. Mm. And I have told you, I have told everybody, brought up a Catholic because I'm Irish, but I consider myself pagan, heathen, whatever you want to call it. Mm. All right. And I have my reasons behind that. My reasons being that, you know, it took a lot of thought, a lot of research. I'm not getting into too much because it's too deep. But you know, there was a lot of there was a lot of reading and just thinking and fucking you know looking at all the different philosophies and the rules and regulations that go with everything, mm. and I found that like European paganism in general mm. was a very it was a very freeing nature kind of religion. Yeah. You know, yeah. There's none of this like I, like one of the main rules that I loved was there's no kneeling to the go- to anybody, not even to the gods that are, that are there. You don't kneel, you know. You stand tall as a man. Mm. It's all about respect. It's all about honor. It's all about you know taking care of each other as a family. Mm. I mean, you see that meme that goes around, and it's like, um, what is it again? If they stand behind you, protect them. If they stand beside you, respect them. Yeah. And if they stand in front of you, you know. Run them over, (laughs) (laughs) but essentially, like you know, it's a the whole pagan religion is just based on being a decent person, being good to your environment, and just being honourable and nice and follow your word. Like you know, it's very very simple, and no one comes looking for money off you. Nobody is trying to scare you into you know, because I mean like that's the thing that kills me about Christianity mm. is it is a fear mongering oh it, it is it feels like a fear mongering religion yeah. you know yeah. it's do this or you're going to hell and I mm. believe like I've said to you before as well like that I'm very open with it that like when you ask me I'd say I may be Celtic Norse kind of beliefs yeah I, but that's the ones because they're, easy, they're easier to identify because their myths kind of line up with what we were brought up with and our surroundings yeah. but the thing that's like I find interesting about it is the fact that in a time when there was very little travel and it was very hard to communicate with like the person that lives two counties over rather than across the continent, everybody had these similar beliefs. Mm. And they were all like just slightly different names with all similar descriptions, similar stories all across the world. And no one was looking for anything off you. Do you know, yeah. maybe a couple of goats here and there. <laughs> Do you know, <laughs> human sacrifice of things get bad, which we'll be getting into later. <laughs> but, you know, and... I mean, like, I know to the Americans, the whole heathen pagan thing is completely different. That, like, mm. the, the, the KKK racists kind of took that shit over a little bit. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, just so people 
that are listening from America, because we did have some American we listeners. Did, yeah. I'm going to like give you an example here of what the difference is between us and them. So these Americans, mm. this happened a few years ago, but these Americans um, emailed or messaged the uh, Pagan Federation of Ireland. Okay. And these were pagans from America. Hello, my fiancé and I are currently planning a trip to Ireland from the US next June of 2017 to get married and honeymoon for three weeks. We are Odinists. No, they're the racist ones, and I love Odin, but they're the racist ones. And would like an Odinist or similar-minded clergy to marry us. We would prefer to find someone who only performs heterosexual ceremonies and refrains from marrying those of mixed races. Oh, boy. If you can help me find someone, that will be fantastic and very much appreciated. Thank you very much for your time and consideration. I hope to hear from you soon. Sarah. So that's Sarah from America, who is a pagan. (laughs) The Pagan Federation of Ireland replied with, Hello, Sarah. We are most happy to report that none of our clergy subscribe to your views on mixed race or gay marriage, and so we cannot assist. Yeah. You, uh, we cannot assist you in your upcoming visit to Ireland. Fuck off. Yours <laughs> very sincerely, everyone at the Pagan Federation of Ireland. I knew they weren't in Ireland. It's more hippy-dippy here, yeah, and I'm yeah, not a hippy-dippy guy, but you know, it is more of a hippie kind of fucking movement fair here. Fair play to them. It was kind of okay. And you know what showed me as well that it was just a kind of a, a symbol of racism for them over there, this mm. oldness kind of stuff, which I find really disrespectful because yeah. he's like, you know, the height. But the fact that they had the, the, the when they, um, when they did that thing Storm where they the stormed the capital mm. oh, and they had the Viking do with the headdress, yeah. yeah. And they were, he was claiming to be one of these pagans. And then footage comes out of them stopping halfway through to do a Christian prayer. Yeah. It's like, you yeah. can't be both, buddy. No. Paganism is a religion, not a movement, not some club (laughs) that you're in, you know? Okay. Today, instead of crazy American pagans, we are going to be looking at crazy Scottish pagans. People who kind of uh, might have misinterpreted the pagan religion as well, Mm. or maybe looked at it too literally kind of the complaint we'd have with Christians that they look at it a little bit too literally sometimes because I was going to say that earlier I kind of have a belief in that everything has to be some bit based in truth and I do believe the Christians might have been right at one time but after 2000 years of man meddling with it Mm. it isn't what if there was a Jesus it's not what he set up for it to be day one so I I think these people might be looking at it a bit too literal too but uh, Today we're going to talk about a story that you could call a battle of faith when Sergeant Neil Howey journeys by seaplane to the remote Heberdeen Island of Summer Isle to investigate the disappearance of a young girl, Rowan Morrison, about whom he has received an anonymous letter. Howey, a devout Christian, is disturbed to find the islanders paying homage to the pagan Celtic gods of their ancestors. They copulate openly in fields, include children as part of the May Day celebrations, teach children of the phallic association in the maypoles, and place toads in their mouth to cure sore throats. The islanders appear to be trying to thwart their invest- his investigation by claiming that Rowan never existed. Mm-hmm. Now this may seem like a group of people doing their best to cover up a suspected suspicious death, but it would soon become apparent that their attempts to frustrate and mislead Sergeant Howie held ulterior ritualistic motives. Most of our sources today come from the investigation notes and diary entries left behind by Sergeant Howie, and from the documentary The Wicker Man by Robin Hardy and Anthony Schaefer. In Ireland, a toad in your mouth was an no cure for a toothache. Well, I suppose, you know, Ireland, Scotland, 
Wales, even England, we're all Celtic countries. So, oh, I mean, yeah. you know, there have been a lot of similar traditions passed around. Mm. There were just yeah. slight variations on them, I suppose. Neil Howie was born on the 1st of June 1947 in the Scottish Highlands and was the only child in a devoutly Christian family. They were strict Scottish F.E.P. Ah, fuck me! <laughs> I knew, I knew you were just going to read it as E. <laughs> oh, I had it written out phonetically so I can fucking do it and still Your brain it. tricked you. <laughs> I'm leaving it in. They were strict Scottish Episcopal and minority faith in the usually staunchly Presbyterian Scottish Highlands. Fuck these Christians. This apparently is the only reason Neil abandoned his ambition of becoming a priest as he found the idea of preaching to a minority faith of his community to be quite daunting and instead decided he would be better off serving his community as a police officer in the West Highland Police Department. Seeing as Scotland was a Christian country and ruled by Christian law, how we saw this as a way to be an, an officer and enforcer of God's rule, the next best thing to preaching his message to the masses. Although abandoning his plans to become a priest, Howie remained a hardcore Christian, following the rule of God to a T, as written in the Bible. Much to the dismay of his fiancée, schoolteacher Mary Bannock, who Howie had been engaged to for nearly three years before his trip to Summer Isle. That's three years of no sex for Mary. But it's okay, because instead of ruffling her feathers between the sheets, Howie instead bought her out regularly to join in on his favourite pastime, birdwatching. How come you never take me birdwatching? <laughs> <laughs> it's actually while birdwatching that our story really begins. On Saturday, April 28, 1973, Neil and Mary were out at St. Ninian's Isle around the area of Binslui, enjoying the birds of the isle when Howie and Mary observed two golden eagles soaring through the sky, a male and a female who had obviously chosen the area to nest. It was as they watched the majestic birds soar and dance in the air that Howie noticed a man close to the nest and brandishing a shotgun. He then took aim and blasted one of the eagles straight out of the sky, sending it hurtling towards him, colliding and knocking the man out in the process. An enraged Howie ordered Mary to go to the nearest phone at Taskpool and to call the poli for police backup immediately. As Mary took off in search of a phone, Howie sprinted out to the, lo to the location of the injured man. Upon arriving at the location of the man and the downed eagle, Howie could see that the man only managed to injure the bird and was currently struggling to pin the eagle down with the butt of his shotgun to prevent it from attacking him in retaliation. The man once again struck the bird with his shotgun but dazing it. As Howie got closer he could see now the bird was badly hurt and in the struggle with the man had had its wings broken. Before it could mount another attack the golden eagle keeled over and died. But the man's ordeal was not over yet as the female eagle, a mate of the now dead male eagle, attacked the man viciously, ripping at him with her talons and pecking wildly with her sharp pointed beak. The man, while trying to cover up, tried frantically to reload his shotgun and just as he was about to take aim, Howie rubbly tackled him to the ground. Ignoring the man's pleas and reasoning, Howie turned him around, cuffed him and informed him that he was under arrest for killing a golden eagle and anything he says at it, from that point on will be used against him as evidence. Okay, see I was looking into this and I could be wrong but from what I could see I thought that the golden eagle wasn't a protected species until 1981. I saw an interview with Mary Bannock 
uh-huh. from years later uh-huh. and she said that she asked Howie at the time what you know what was he going to get was he going to get jail time and Howie was, was pretty sour about it and mm. said first offence he'll get a fine so this will kind of give you an idea of the type of man Neil Howie is like this guy uh, judicial He'd arrest you for jaywalking, you know. He, yeah. he, he'd arrest you for loitering. He, he's, he's that kind of guy, like, you know. Hits his targets. Yeah, stiff. <laughs> Not long after Mary arrived back with backup in tow, the group made their way back to the mainland via ferry, bringing the man now bandaged and cuffed in the back of a police car along with them. It was on this ship home that Constable McTaggart, one of the officers who had come to Howie and Mary's aid, approached Neil with a letter that had arrived to the station for him that morning and that had been marked urgent. The letter read as follows. Dear Sergeant Howie, none of us have seen Mae Morrison's daughter Rowan since last year. She is only 12 and has been missing from her home for many months. She couldn't have left the island by herself. She's too young. Her mother won't say anything about it. Just to mind my own business. Well, I reckon it's all our business if a kid disappears. That's why I'm writing to you this letter. Signed, A Child Lover on Summer Isle. P.S. I enclosed a picture of Roe Morrison. Uh, has anybody investigated the child lover? <laughs> well, that's what I'm thinking. If this was modern day, that was the 70s. If this was modern day, they're not going looking for fucking Roe on that island. They're going looking for child lover of Summer Isle. Yep. <laughs> that oh is an God. online grooming name if I ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> Summer Isle child lover, 69. <laughs> That would be their username. <laughs> as soon as Howie finished reading the letter, he informed Constable McTaggart to go redo the shift roster for the week, as he would be leaving to investigate the situation the very next day after early church service, which was held around 8.30. Uh-huh. He would receive communion and hop on a police seaplane straight to Summer Isle, an island known for its apple exports and its lack of licensing laws. I mean, they get to drink whatever way as long as they long as they I want. I like them. the chain and all. I wonder. Hmm. So the very next day after communion, Sergeant Howie took off on his trip to the island, ready to begin his investigation and to get to the bottom of the disappearance of young Rowan Morrison. Upon arrival on the island, Sergeant Howie was met by the harbour master and a number of other elderly gentlemen. The harbour master informed Neil that Summer Isle was a private island and that he would require the permission of Lord Summer Isle himself to land here. But Howie was quick to point out that he was police and outranked any so-called lord that may rule the island. He then quizzed the men on the disappearance of Rome Morrison and passed a picture amongst them. They all denied ever seeing her, stating that it was a small island with a small population and if she had lived there at any point, they would for sure have recognised her. Does Lord outrank cops? I don't know. I was wondering the same thing, but I would assume so. I mean, you pointed out, look at some of the lords over there. They're mental, like, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> you can't, nothing, I suppose, no like, government official can really get in the way of a, a proper no, investigation, can they? No, no, Like, even if it was a pri- private island, still. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah private yeah, island is still, still a part yeah, of a, a nation yeah, that has exactly, laws, yeah. and that's it, like, you know. Howie pushed at the men and read the letter he had received to them, pointing out that the mother of Rowan was May Morrison. The men acknowledged that the existence of May, the local post office keeper, but insisted that the girl from the photograph was not May's daughter. But Howie decides he will go to speak to Miss Morrison himself, and made his way through the island village. 
The Islanders, obviously not used to outsiders, stare at him eerily as he makes his way to the sweet shop slash post office. When he arrives at his destination, the first thing he notices is the strange designs of the chocolates on display as they resembled almost ghostly figures and demonic animals. As much as chocolate can look spooky and demonic, that is. Mm-hmm. How creepy must it have been for the people, you know, staring at him if he, like, felt he needed to take note of it? Yeah. Do you know? Oh, full on staring. As in, like, as in... The whole village must have been just gawking at him as he walked through, like, you know? Frozen in time. It must be creepy. Yeah. I remember um, hearing Eric Bischoff. Eric Bischoff, for you who are not wrestling fans, used to run Mm. World Championship Wrestling back in the 90s and was on WWE throughout the 2000s and stuff. So a big wrestling personality. But uh, they went on a tour of the bad Korea. Never remember which one it is, <laughs> but the bad Korea. And he said, like, you know, he said they were like chaperoned everywhere. Okay. Always had a mind with them, always had security with them. But one morning he woke up really early and decided he was going to go for a jog. Hey. And uh, he went out jogging. So it's like five, six in the morning when people are starting to get out and go on a commute, their morning commute to work, you know? Mm. And he said they were just like stopping and staring at him because he was like, the stereotype of him being a little shorter is true. Mm. So he said they're staring up at him and he's not a very tall man, he's under six foot anyway. Yeah. And they're like, they're staring up at me and they're all amazed at this white American man. Like they'd never seen it. This was the yeah. devil, according to their media, this is the devil man, like, you know? Yeah. And they're seeing him run through his, he said he felt like Frankenstein, like, you know? Was, Maybe we're not so, allowed to jog there. Oh, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Taboo to jog. Unless you <laughs> jog like the, like the emperor. <laughs> Howie then enters the shop and quizzes Mae Morrison, who assures him that while she does have a daughter, the girl in the picture is for sure not hers. She then brings him to the back of the shop where her home is. And Neil meets Mae's actual daughter, the nine-year-old Myrtle. Terrible name. Mm-hmm. He is then left alone with Myrtle for a few minutes as May goes to tend to a customer in the front. Neil then takes the opportunity to ask the child about Rowan. The girl will only say that Rowan is a hare who plays in the field. Neil is then interrupted by May putting, uh, putting an end to the co- uh, questioning. Over a cup of tea, Neil inquires about the best place to find accommodation for the night. And Mrs. Morrison directs him to the Green Man Inn, a public house and local B&B. So the green man, that was a pagan symbol meant to symbolise the cycle of life, death and rebirth. There's links to Robin Hood, links to Arthurian legend in uh, The Green Knight and in the story, the Sir Gawain story, the, uh, the, the movie that just came out. Is it the same guy from the, will he be the same guy as the, from the Green Knight movie? You know, that big tree dude. Basically, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so that, that's, there's links there. But uh, the mad thing about it is it's included in a lot of Christian architecture, the way they'd include heads over the door here, yeah. kind of to, to link the paganism. But whenever you see it next to a portrayal of the Virgin Mary, it's always smiling. But if there's no Virgin Mary anywhere, it's angry. Yeah? Yeah. And that's the Christians of that That's one. the Christians that brought him into, yeah, it's yeah. kind of to bring them over the Like list. they did with everything else. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> At the, at the Christian man, I was about to say. At the Green Man Inn, landlord Alder McGregor offers Howie a room and asks his daughter Willow to look after the policeman. This all goes on while the local singer risks a song about Willow's charm. Apparently, it was a song called The Landlord's Daughter. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Mm-mm. I looked it up and to be honest, if I was the pub landlord and they started singing this about my daughter, we'd be taking a walk outside. <laughs> that bad? Then again, maybe, maybe not. 
uh, we kind of get to what the islanders like to do outside at night in a minute. Ooh, <laughs> How we examined some Harvest Festival photographs and noticed that the previous year's photograph is missing. He questioned McGregor on this, but he assured Howie that the missing picture was broken and out to be mended. Willow gives Howie a supper of canned food, and when he asks for one of Summer Isle's famous apples, tells him that they have all been exported. Well, that's a bit odd, isn't it? For a place so famous for its apples to be all out. Sure is, and a usually inquisitive police officer thought so too, but it had been a long day and he was tired, he just kind of left it go. So he'd leave it go for the time being and decided to finish his subpar meal and take a short walk on the island before bed. It was here he got his first real taste of culture shock because when he left the bar, what he found was a midnight orgy with the residents of the island openly and freely having sex out in the elements for all the world to see. Mm. I can see why you'd be afraid to challenge a fella to go outside with you now. You go outside for a fight and end up in the position of the landlord's daughter instead. <laughs> yep. <No>, thank you. This <laughs> obviously disturbed and sickened the devout Christian Howie. As he progressed further from the bar, he found a local cemetery where the locals were watering graves like flowers and he found a crying naked woman straddling what looked to be a fresh grave. This all being too much for Sergeant Howie, briskly made his way back to the Green Manor Inn and retired to his bedroom for the night. Before bed, as he knelt saying his nightly prayers, Howie was further shaken when he finally saw Lord Summer Isle. The Lord of the Island bringing Willow, a teenage boy, for sexual initiation. I mean, this all has to be a laugh for a fire and brimstone yeah. Christian to deal with. Leaving what he considered to be a civilised Christian society to be thrown right into the deep end of a full-blown Celtic pagan heathenry and the shocking realisation that this is happening openly only a few miles away from the mainland. This whole place is like a different world for Howie. How it's been overlooked or tolerated for so long is mind-boggling to him. Surely this is still part of the United Kingdom and should be following the laws and religion of that kingdom. This again is 1973. Religious tolerance outside of the particular homeland is still decades away. What Neil Howie was witnessing must have been completely incomprehensible to him. Yeah, it must have been like absolutely surreal for him. Like, why were they even watering graves? Were they trying to grow zombies or what? what's the story there? <laughs> they planted small trees in the graves. Kind of a rebirth thing. Your body nourishes the soil and something new grows from it. Okay, so they, they were watering the flowers on the graves, basically. Okay, not playing plants versus zombies, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> the next morning, Howie heads to the local school in search of Rowan. There he finds the children being taught about phallic symbols and participating in the phallic maypole dance. The maypole, I mean, I, I don't know a whole pile about it, but it's like basically a huge pole mm -hmm. with these strands of you know, string or ribbon yeah. off it and all the kids or adults or whatever are holding on to the string they're singing a song and they're running around it and kind of mm. crisscrossing and the children claim not to know Rowan but Howie finds her name in the register and accuses them of being liars taking him outside the school mistress Miss Rose explains that Rowan's soul was returned to nature and that the children only learn of Christianity as comparative religion by a ruined church he finds what is apparently Rowan's grave adorned with her umbilical cord. <laughs> From the island's doctor Howie learns that Rowan burnt to death but can find no entry of her in the records office. Inquiries with the island's grave digger, librarian and doctor were all fruitless. The officer still couldn't shake the feeling that the missing Mayday 72 picture from the inn had more meaning behind it. So he decided to question the local 
let's call him pharmacist, <laughs> and photographer Mr. Lennox, who told him the negatives had been destroyed and that there was no copy of this picture left in existence. Why did you get all sarcastic when you said pharmacist? Well, let's just say you're not going to pick up a packet of paracetamol in this guy's shop. Huh. How he noted in his police pad some of the contents of the shop included foreskins, rat's brains, bull's testicles, mounted lizards, snake oils, and one bottle that just simply said <laughs> brains. Oh. How he himself is said to have been witness to Mae Morrison sticking a small toad in her daughter Myrtle's mouth to take away the sore throat. Good, she said. No, it was only in there for a few couple of seconds. Then Mae removed it again, claiming that the toad had somehow kind of absorbed the illness from Myrtle. Kind of like what you were saying with the Irish and the toothache earlier on. Yeah, but I'd rather have a pain in my throat than a pain in my tooth. Our Scots are way too soft. Don't, don't don't go there anyway. <laughs> Either way, Howie's morning had been fruitless, and he was no closer to solving his mystery. His, frust- his frustration mounting, Howie went to Lord Summer Isle's castle to ask for permission to exhume Rowan's grave, now suspecting murder. On his way to Summer Isle's manor, he witnessed a fertility ritual, right? Mm. It was being performed around a fire in the middle of a ring of, like, standing stones. Mm. All the participants were hot naked girls. <laughs> <laughs> when he eventually questioned Summer Isle on the morals of having these women parade around naked, Summer Isle just quipped back at him with, well, it would be very dangerous to dance around and jump over a fire pit in clothes that could catch a life. I would have to agree with Summer Isle. <laughs> Personally, as a pagan heeding myself, I'm, I'm loving the sound of Summer Isle. I say we pack up and move there ASAP. <laughs> At least we know that our safety is his main concern. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you. Yeah, you. You like the podcast? Once more? Then head on over to our Patreon page where for just five euro a month you get up to 12 extra shows in that month along with piles of mini-sodes covering fun facts from the world of horror and true crime. Each week we drop multiple shows such as Real Monsters where we look at the inspiration behind the movie killers or Behind the Mask where we take a look at the influential people and happenings in the world of Hollywood. All this, plus movie reviews, watch-alongs, and regular AMAs. That means ask me anything. You really do get a bang for your buck. And and by bang, I mean, like, podcast. I'm not soliciting or anything. Shit. Um, Moving on. For just five euro a month, all this could be yours. So head on over to www.patreon.com forward slash IAAPod. That's www.patreon.com forward slash IAAPod. And start listening now. So who exactly is Lord Samara? There's a little bit of a story to that. So here's a quick little sidebar. In the last century, the islanders were starving. Like their neighbours today, they were scratching a bare subsistence from sheep and sea. Then in 1968, Summerall's grandfather, a distinguished Victorian scientist, agronomist, free thinker, brought the barren island and began to change things. For those who are like me and have no idea what an agronomist is, it's a scientist that specializes in soil management and crop production. Okay. What attracted his grandfather to the island, apart from the profuse source of able-bodied laborers that he promised, was the unique combination of volcanic soil and the warm Gulf Stream that surrounded it. You see, his experiments had led him to believe that it was possible to induce here the successful growth of a certain new strain of fruit that he had developed. So with typical mid-Victorian zeal, he set to work. The best way of accomplishing this, it seemed to him, was to rouse the people from their apathy by giving them back their joyous old gods. And as a result of this worship, the barren island would flourish and bring forth fruit in great abundance. 
What he did, of course, was to develop new cultivators of hardy fruits suited to the local conditions. To begin with, they worked for him because he fed them and clothed them. But then later, when the trees started fruiting, it became a very different matter, and the ministers fled the island never to return. So that'll tell you who's in charge when we were asking earlier <laughs> on, the Lord. What Royal's grandfather had started out of expediency, his father continued out of love. He brought Royal up the same way to revere the music and the drama and rituals of the old gods, to love nature and to fear it, and to rely on it, and to appease it where necessary. He brought him up as a heathen. God had his chance and he blew it, and Christianity is seen merely as a comparative religion in his community. Many of the island's pagan traditions, beliefs, and practices predate Christianity, and its deities include the god of the sun, and the god of the seas, and the goddess of the orchards. The idea of reincarnation is firmly rooted among, among the population, and a few rituals that even include human sacrifice still in practice, which Lord Summeroil openly accepts and encourages. Again, if we could just, you know, lose the human sacrifice part, this would be an ideal home for me. Yeah, it seems to be a bit of a sticking point. <laughs> <laughs> Lord Summerise Manor was about what you would imagine a manor to be. Filled with classic art and antiques, fancy furniture, shit like that. It's not like, you know, I think of like a pagan lord and I'm thinking of like a Viking, you know, great hall. Yeah, big fire pit down the middle, pigs on spit, beer mm -hmm. everywhere, everyone drinking and drunk and roaring and chanting and singing furnishings. this was more like that typical british lord kind of house you know like cross swords on the wall like old people everywhere and yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> grand piano in the middle of the fucking hall just because you know <laughs> the man had the big apple money so <laughs> can you blame him not a bit after a short debate on each of their beliefs, Sergeant Howie gets to the point and asks Summerisle for his permission to exhume the grave of Rowan so he can confirm his theory and begin a murder investigation. Summerisle, confident that no such violence could ever take place in his community, agreed to Howie's request and parted ways with his new Christian acquaintance. Yes, he seems to be pretty cooperative so far. Summerisle was right to be confident. The officer would find nothing to help his investigation because upon exhuming the young girl's grave, all Sergeant Howie found was the body of a dead hare, just as young May Myr Myrtle May had predicted earlier. Needless to say, Sergeant Howie was less than impressed with his findings and went straight to Summer Isle Manor to let the Lord know as much. There he found the Lord and Miss Rose, the schoolteacher, playing piano and singing to entertain, to entertain themselves. After Howie produced the dead hair, Miss Rose joked that it must be transmutation that had turned Rowan's body from the human to hair, and she's sure that this would please Rowan's soul. But Howie was having none of it, and informed Lord Summerisle that he's in of his intentions to leave the island the following day and report his findings to his superiors, and to have an investigation opened on the case of Roe Morrison. Summerisle acknowledged the officer's decision, and told him it would probably be for the best, as he fears their pagan May Day celebrations, which were due to start the next day, were only likely to offend the sergeant even more than he already had been. Sounds like May Day was going to be absolutely crazy. Mardi Gras! <laughs> <laughs> more like burning man before leaving the island Sergeant Howie had one more task he wished to accomplish and that was to find the missing May Day celebration crop picture missing from the green man in and presumed destroyed 
So after leaving Lord Summerisle's manor, Neil returned to the now-closed pharmacy of Mr. Lennox and broke in to search for the negatives in the pho- photography room. There he found the negatives of Rowan standing in front of empty baskets, leading him to surmise that the crops failed that year, leading to an apple drought on the island and leaving the islanders with no produce to sell that year. He then came to the conclusion that to appease the gods and to get back in their favour, Lord Summerisle and his followers sacrificed young Rowan as a tribute to the gods to ensure the same would not happen again in the next season. Now certain of her murder, Sergeant Neil Howie was determined to get off the island and return with backup so as to bring the eccentric lord and his followers to justice. Before Howie could leave, he had to spend one more night in the Green Man Inn. And here, the barmaid's daughter, Willow, would test his faith one more time by offering herself up to the Virgin Howie. But Howie, tempted as he might have been, held it together and trusted in the will of God once again, keeping himself pure and unblemished for his eagerly waiting fiancé back home on the mainland. See, this is why being pagan is better. My gods don't stop us from having as much fun. Yeah. I mean, I've seen pictures of Willow. Plus, the discipline is clearly driving this man to the brink of insanity. (laughs) Before leaving, Neil visited the local library to research the celebration of the May Day. Here, his suspicions were validated as he read that most years an animal sacrifice was used in the celebrations, but after a bad harvest, it was common for humans to be used instead, almost as an extra treat for the gods, showing that they were willing to give up one of their own in their honour. At this point, the sergeant had had enough, and he packed up his bags from the inn and took off for his seaplane. A seaplane that he found was no longer functional. It had been tampered with, stranding Sergeant Howie on the island to take down the pagan cult alone. And that's exactly what a determined police officer planned to do. Now, before we move on, I will add, though, he wasn't completely stranded. Mm. Apparently... The um, harbour master did offer to row him to the mainland, but he explained that it would take a few days for them to get there. So he was given the option to leave the island with the harbour master, but would be rowing the whole way over. I would have been suspicious. Like, why would my plane be tampered with? Well, look, he knows something's up. Yeah. He knows he's been fucked with. Yeah. But the point here I'm making just for this... Was he was offered? He was offered away off the island at this point. It was just a slow, long, dangerous uh, way. Okay. As the islanders prepare their costumes for the procession, Lord Summer Isle proclaims that when the procession ends, they will make a sacrifice to the god Nuada, and next year they will have a stronger crop. Howie eavesdropping hears all of this and comes to the conclusion that Rowan had been kept alive and hidden away for the May Day sacrifice. He rushed, rushed to the shop of May Morrison to make one more desperate plea for information. But again, it fell on deaf ears. Howie, finally sick of the islanders, decide he, decides he would conduct a fruitless door-to-door search for Rowan, eventually returning to the Green Man Inn to rest. Nuada is an Irish god, right? He is indeed, and one that I follow myself. In Irish mythology, Nuada was the first king of the Tua de Danann and was the husband of Buon. He is mostly known from the tale in which he loses his arm or a hand in battle and thus his kingship. Because back then, in those times, it required that the king was fully intact. So if you lost a limb, you lost your power. Do you know? But he regains his arm and thus his crown after being magically healed by Dian Cacht. Now this guy, um, not Dian Cacht, but... 
Tyr and Nuada, Tyr from uh, Norse religion, yeah. is said to, to possibly be Nuada because they both are missing that limb. They both got, you know, golden arms, silver arms. Oh, yeah. And um, that's one of the things I said to you that, like, you know, that really brought me into that pagan religion as well is at a time when people couldn't talk to each other yeah. and couldn't communicate with each other the way we can now, where you couldn't talk to someone down the road, you know, mm. about the news. It was just, everything was so localised. Yeah. Travel was impossible, but yet these, these gods pop up all over the world. Same stories, and they all, even in their own regions, they have multiple names. Oh yeah. They so do. I mean, I mean, there's like stories of Caesar, like going back to his people and saying, like, well, they have the same gods as us, which is Mars is called Odin, mm -hmm. Mars is called you know, like, yeah. or Lou over here, and so like, and it's just all this kind of craziness that we all taught the same thing, we all had the same rules, we all had the same idea but we're so spread out but no one was looking yeah. no one was asking us to pay for it mm. no one was like preaching that we should do this we should do that the yeah. gods of pagan religions it's not so much here are the stories of what you should do it's more stories of here's what i did and how i fucked up learn from my mistake or you know go out and try it yourself and then learn from then the mistake from but that. the main goal here is just learn from the mistake yeah. you know and that, that's it and that's what the stories are about there's no fear mongering there's no yeah. hell there is a special bad place for terrible terrible okay. people but you know like Hitler and stuff but there's no like fear mongering devil that's going to take you away for like uh, holding hands in public you know <laughs> yeah fuck that so um, anyway Nuada meaning to acquire through hunting was considered an honest and judicious ruler so why Samurai and his followers as well considered him to be like a sun god I'm not sure yeah. and I have even less of a clue as to why they feel like human sacrifice is the right thing to do for an honest and judicious ruler yeah it's a strange one yeah, well they interpreted it the way they interpreted it as Sergeant Howie rested his eyes, he heard Alder and Willow McGregor approach. Playing possum, Howie pretended to stay asleep. And he listened to the two discuss their plans to knock the officer out, keeping him from interfering in their mysterious May Day celebration plans. Willow entered his room, lighting a hand of glory, something she stated could keep the officer asleep for days. The father and daughter duo then went their separate ways to prepare for their celebration, with Alder McGregor getting the honour of playing Punch or the King's Fool in the procession that year. What's a hand of glory? It sounds like a plant or something. And see, that's what I thought too when I first heard. I thought, you know, yeah. some sort of fucking plant that she lit and the, the smoke would knock him out. Yeah, not it. Once the room fell silent again, Sergeant Howie opened his eyes to see what Willow had left him. A severed hand of a corpse, the fingers lit like candles burning away at his bedside. Ooh. So a hand of glory is a dried and pickled hand of a hanged man, often specified to being the left hand or, if the person was hanged for murder, mm. the hand that did the deed. Okay. Old European beliefs attribute great powers to the hand of glory. Combined with a candle made from the fat from the corpse of the same malefactor who died on the gallows. The candle so made, lighted and placed as if in a candlestick in the hand of glory would have rendered motionless to all persons to whom it was presented. The candle could be put out only with milk and the candle would give light to only the holder. The hand of glory also purportedly purportedly, yes, had the power to unlock <laughs> any door it came across. The method of making the Hand of Glory is described in Petty Albert and in, in, the, in the Compendium Maleficarum. Compendium, the Compendium Maleficarum. Nice one, thank you. <laughs> Take the right or left hand of a felon who is hanging from a gibbet beside a highway, wrap it in part of a funeral pail and squeeze it well. 
Then put it into an earthenware vessel with zimuth, nitres, salt and long peppers, the whole well powdered. Fuck me. Leave it in this vessel for a fortnight, then take it out and expose it to full sunlight during the dog days or the hottest days of summer until it becomes quite dry. If the sun is not strong enough, put it in an oven or with a fern and vervain. Mm-hmm. Is that some sort of a plant? plant? Next, make a kind of candle from the fat of a gibbet of felon. Virgin wax, sesame and horse dung and use the hand of glory as a candlestick to hold the candle when lighted and then those in every place into which you go with this painful instrument should remain motionless. Why always horse dung? Apparently it's highly flammable. Help the hands stay lit. Bad it is. Yeah, we say lit, not lighted. You keep confusing me. Because we're on fire. (laughs) This was it. Howie had had all he could take. Time was running out and it was time to take action before the people of this crazy island killed this young girl in the name of what he saw to be false gods. Howie took the candlestick that had been holding the hand of glory, snuck up behind Alder McGregor and struck him in the head with it, incapacitating him and tying him up, stealing his punch costume in the process. If he was going to get close enough to save Rowan, he knew he had to do it in disguise. So donning the costume of the fool, Howie made his way to the procession, determined to save Rowan Morrison and to bring Lord Summerisle and his followers to justice. Okay, before you go any further, what's the punch thing about? So the celebrations are usually relatively innocent affairs, with the islanders wearing costumes from ancient times. McGregor was the fool or punch, like, you know, Punch and Judy, the puppets. Another would dress up as a dreadful manimal half-man, half-animal, and the religious leader or priest of the group would dress up and, I quote, not my words or beliefs, but, I quote, the sinister teaser, the man-woman. Summer Isle, you are cancelled. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> this was the 70s, and the rituals were hundreds, if not thousands of years old, so trans rights hadn't really made its way to Summer Isle just yet. Mm. Or anywhere else, for that matter, unfortunately. The rest of the followers wore animal masks that represented the beginning of spring, such as rabbits, salmons, badgers, bears, and other hibernating furries, who were just waking up to see the land back to life for another year. Then they'd perform little rituals and offerings to the gods in hopes for a good year and a healthy, bountiful crop. But that was every other year. This year, it would be different. Because as we know, the following year, the crop had failed. To the people of Summer Isle, the gods were angry and they needed to take drastic measure to get them back on their side. And that's where Rowan would come in. Okay, it's honesty time. We have a confession to make. We suck at socials! No good at Insta! Can't send a tweet! Or an X! Or whatever that super villain looking motherfucker is calling it now! Stick to your space cars, Elon! But we know, ye wanna chat. You wanna be kept updated. You wanna be alive alive all the goddamn time. So we're getting down from the anti-social soapbox and giving this a try. So come chat to us on Insta and Twitter at Alive Alive Pod or hit us up by email at itsalivealivepod at gmail.com. We want to hear from you. Tell us what you like, what you don't like. This is a project. It's still a work in progress and we just want to give you more of what you like and less of what you can't stand. So give us a like, give us a follow. We'll always hit you back and we'll always try to reply to everyone. So come say hi. We don't bite. Well... At least Amy doesn't. And she keeps me well fed, so you got nothing to worry about. Now, back to the show! <laughs> so the ritual of the sun god went as follows. 
Six swordsmen followed the manimal, the fool, and the man-woman king, and at the climax of the ceremony, locked their swords together in a clear symbol of the sun. Okay. In pagan times, however, these dances were not simply picturesque jigs. They were frenzied riots ending in a sacrifice by which the dancers hoped desperately to win over the goddess of the fields. In good times, they offered produce to the gods and slaughtered animals. But in bad times, bad years, when the harvest had been poor, the sacrifice was a human being. Okay. In some cultures, it would even be the king himself. In others, the most beloved virgin. Very often, he or she would be kept hidden from months preceding the ceremony, just as the sun is hidden from the earth in the winter. Methods of sacrifice differed. Sometimes the victim would be drowned in the sea or burnt to death in a huge sacrificial bonfire. Sometimes the six swordsmen ritually beheaded the virgin. The priest would then skin her and wearing the still warm skin like a mantle led the rejoicing crowds through the streets. The priest thus represented the goddess reborn and guaranteed another successful harvest next year. Oh Josh, not even these people can be that bad. (laughs) That's exactly what Sergeant Howie thought. So he followed along and played the part of the fool, just like the rest of the pagan cult followers, even going so far as to copy their movements as they each stuck their head in between the six swords, waiting to be judged by the gods, unsure as to whether they would be beheaded and sacrificed or whether they would live to see another day. That's terrifying. Do you think they would have cut his head off if they had known it was Howie and not McGregor underneath the mask? Maybe, maybe not. Who knows what Lord Samurai really had planned next for his grand sacrifice. Uh-huh, I sure as fuck hope you do, or we just wasted an hour on a story with no ending. <laughs> you want an ending? Then here we go. Good. The, procession, the procession made its way along the island, led by a dancing Lord Summerisle as a bass drum ominously beat in the background. When they reached the standing stone circle used earlier in the naked fertility ritual, each follower made their way through the sun swords. As the rest chanted, chop, a game of chance as someone was about to lose their head. Chop, 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 chop. They fucking did it. Yes, but all in the name of fun. As the swords took a paper mache head off of a predetermined girl whose head was safely tucked away under the mask. Oh, that's neck. fine, sir. So, no one was to be sacrificed just yet. They then made their way to the beach where Summer Isle made an offering to the gods of the sea, spilling barrels of ale into the ocean as to to gain more favour. It was then Sergeant Howie's suspicions were finally validated, as Summer Isle announced they must now make another offering to the gods of the land. A more dreadful offering, as he was said to have put it himself. And from a cave on the cliffside by the beach, a bound Rowan Morrison was revealed to the crowd. Howie, unable to contain himself, blew his cover, rushing to the aid of the young innocent girl. He then untied her and the two ran towards the cliff caves as the islanders followed hot in their heels. The officer, unfamiliar with the lay of the land, followed Rowan, trusting she would know the fastest escape route from the rocky maze and he was right. Rowan led him safely through and out the other side where they found Lord Summerisle, Miss Rose and Willow McGregor already there atop the cliff, ready, waiting on their prey. Shit, they're going to kill the little girl. Nope. No? They never had any intention of harming sweet little Rowan, and as they left the cave, she ran to Summerisle, hugging him and asking, did I do good? 
To which she replied, you did beautifully. Oh my gosh. You see, Rowan was never the target, never the sacrifice, never the offering to the many gods of Summer Isle, and ran right back into the waiting arms of her mother May as Sergeant Neil Howie stood dazed and confused trying to put all the pieces together. It was then Lord Summer Isle and Miss May revealed their true intentions. Welcome, fool. You have come here of your own free will to an appointed place. The game is over, the game of hunting leading the hunter. You came here to find Rowan Morrison, but it is we who have found you and brought you here and controlled your every thought and action since you arrived. Principally, we persuaded you to think Rowan Morrison was being held as a sacrifice because our crops failed last year. Oh yes, they failed, all right. Disastrously so. For the first time since my grandfather came here. The blossom came, but the fruit withered and died on the bough. That must not happen again this year. It is our most earnest belief that the best way of preventing this is to offer to our God of the sun and to the goddesses of our orchards and the most acceptable sacrifice that lies in our power. Animals are fine, but their acceptability is limited. A little child is even better, but not nearly as effective as the right kind of adult. You, Sergeant are the right kind of adult, as our painstaking research has revealed. You uniquely were the one we needed. The man who would come here of his own free will. A man who would come here with the power of the king by representing the law. A man who would come here as a virgin. A man who has come here as a fool. Punch, one of the great fool victims of history. For you have accepted the role of king for a day, and who but a fool would do that? But you will be revered and anointed as a king. You will undergo death and rebirth, resurrection, if you like. The rebirth, sadly, will not be yours, but that of our crops. Holy shit. So they were after Howie the whole time. And in all fairness to Howie, defiant to the very end mm. and devout to the very end, he told his captors, I am a Christian and as a Christian, I hope for resurrection. And even if you kill me now, it is I who will live again, not your damned apples. The cult followers of the island surrounded the officer, stripping him of his fool's costume, replacing them with ceremonial robes. Howie then made one more plea to the people of the island, telling them that they were about to commit murder and that no amount of blood spilled would bring back their crops as the land was spoiled and nature just simply wouldn't allow it. His pleas fell on deaf ears, but one man was listening closely as Howie directed his final warning to him. A warning I believe deep down he knew to be true. Sergeant Neil Howie looked at Lord Summer Island and said, Don't you understand that if your crops fail this year, next year you're going to have to have another blood sacrifice. And next year, no one less than the King of Summer Isle himself will do. If the crops fail Summer Isle, next year your people will kill you on May Day. Summer Isle knew he was right, but at this point there was no backing down and the people of Summer Isle grabbed Sergeant Howie and led him to his place of execution. Again, the big bass drum beat as Howie was led up the cliffside. The sky grew cloudy and dark and the people chanted to their ancient gods. It was then Howie saw it. The 15-foot bonfire built in the shape of a man. Inside, animals filled different chambers. Around it stood four men holding fire torches ready to set it ablaze. Howie begged his god for salvation, but unfortunately for him, his god wasn't listening. 
This did nothing to shake his faith though, and as the pyre was lit below him, Sergeant Neil Howey recited Psalm 23, prayed to Christ, and cursed the islanders. Awake ye heathens and hold, it is the Lord who hath laid waste your orchards, it is he who had made them bare, reverence the sacrifice, hold ye husbandmen, because the harvest of your field has perished, and the vine has dried up, and the apple has languisheth. Even all the trees of the field are withered because the truth is withered away from the sons of men. Desire shall fail and ye shall all die accursed. Sergeant Neil Howey then prayed one last time from inside the wicker man as he burned to death all while listening to the people of the island rejoice and sing the Middle English folk song Summer is in coming in. Concluding their ritual and the mystery of the missing Rowan Morrison of Summer Isle. You said at the start of all this that it was Neil's notes and a documentary that gave us all the information that we have here. But how do you know, how do we know so much about Neil's end? Like he was hardly taking notes in the Wickerman and even if they had they would have burnt or at least been hidden away by Lord Summerall. Neil Howey was a cop and an active member of the church with a fiancé waiting at home. It didn't take long for his fellow officers to come looking for their fallen comrade. When Constable McTaggart and the other officers came to investigate, they were fed a story of a man who went mad with religious fury. Unable to comprehend the alternative culture of Summer Isle, the islanders all gave the police the identical story of a man determined to destroy their history and old-fashioned ways of living just because they were different. They said that Howie became so frustrated with their beliefs and pagan May Day celebrations that he threw himself from a clifftop right into the rocky sea below, questioning his fate and committing suicide as a result. Okay. No one ever bought that though, because if you knew anything about Neil Howie, it was that his fate would never waver and his trust in God would be eternal. Okay. It was for that reason the cops like just poked and prodded at Summer Isle for like years to come after that, mm. trying to find one little crack in the airtight story that had been regurgitated to them for years. Finally, mm. years later, documentary makers Robin Hardy and Anthony Schaefer were able to reveal the truth to the world, as a now guilt-ridden adult Rowan confessed to them all about what happened over those dark few days. Oh. Unfortunately, all the islanders responsible had since passed away and no one was ever brought to justice for this. What happened to Lord Summerall? Like, did the crops return the next year? They did, but I'll point out it was more than just a sacrifice that brought that about. Summerall had some of the best agronomists in the UK bought in to improve the soil conditions, possibly taking the warning from Howie to heart, realising he would most definitely be the fool to lose his head the next year if the islanders saw no improvement in the crop. And was Rowan ever prosecuted for her part in all of it? Being that she was so young at the time and under the influence of a mad cult leader and the adult followers, the likelihood is that she wouldn't have been prosecuted for her part now. Well, like, what do you mean the likelihood? She either was or wasn't prosecuted. There isn't really any middle ground there. As I said before, Rowan Morrison was an adult racked with guilt and grief for, her part, for the part she played in Neil Howey's death. And the day after she was interviewed for the documentary The Wicker Man, she threw herself from the very cliff the islanders had claimed the sergeant had jumped from all those decades beforehand. Her body, like Howie's, was never, ever recovered. So that is the story of The Wicker Man Cult of Summer Isle. So I just thought it would be a nice change of pace. We've yeah, done was. serial killers for the last couple of weeks. We have. That, you know, we'll try a bit of cult stuff. One death. Yeah. Kind of. <laughs> no, not really, though. Animals, 
Yeah, yeah, fair amount of animals. And a lot of poor old uh, frogs getting sore throats and bad teeth. <laughs> yeah. To be honest, I feel worse for the animals than Howie in this. Uh, like, he was... Yeah. Howie kind of reminds you of, again, to go back to all the way back to Scream, kind of a, a cotton weary kind of type. Yeah. Just Although, not no, I was... I, I, I felt bad when cotton weary, you know. Yeah, fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway... So like I said, we did okay this time. I think that was a good episode. It was a good episode. See, did you know what what, what the, the, the thing is, right? Mm. We had this big thing at the start of this episode where we were explaining to people that, you know, we're learning and we're, we're picking this stuff up here and there yeah. and what we should be doing and what we shouldn't be doing. Mm. And this week, we had our very first production meeting. It's like, we're putting on a show. We need to know what we're talking about before we actually <laughs> go we actually and talk that. about it. We're so we sat that. down and we actually had a production meeting. Mm-hmm. It was there, right, that I actually realized, like, that we're saying stuff that there's like do you know how like different regions have different slang mm. well me and Amy spend so much time together in the one house that our whole oh, one house gosh. has its own slang <laughs> so like for instance we've got to get that out of our head because yeah. these people don't know some of our slang words nobody outside of this house understands our slang words so like last week or yeah I think it was last week or the week before you comment at one point and you were like yeah 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 he gears a wars it <laughs> and I understood exactly what you were talking about but nobody else would have understood what we were actually saying we should have explained that so yeah. when me and Amy like first started going out the first game we started playing together was Gears of War because I love mm-hmm. Gears of War and it was the only local multiplayer that we could find yeah. with the new consoles yeah. and we love it anyway because it's just mash it up but Amy was used to playing these games where there is you know I like open world yeah yeah, open world and then you know you like your little kind of quizzes and mysteries in the game and all that stuff and when we started playing it and you'd like be like wasting time going down all these alleyways and I'd be saying to you no 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 it's not that kind of game this is Gears of War we run forward and we shoot what comes at us that's all we have to do here run forward and shoot so moving forward forward, Mm. or something straightforward became Gears of War in our house so it's like what are you doing there you what where do I go with your Gears of War <laughs> just, just move on Gears of War like, you want huh? a Gears of War right down that street and, <laughs> <laughs> and take a fable to the right <laughs> stop when you see the Red Dead Redemption <laughs> and if you've gone to Mortal Kombat you've you gone too far, far man. <laughs> anyway I think that's it I think we're done for this week. If you want to know what our next subject is for next week, we will post it up on Instagram and X, Twitter, whatever you want to call it, Elon, you alien. And you can okay, check that out. <laughs> you can check that out now. And it'll be up a day early on Patreon next week. It'll be up on Tuesday before the Wednesday. Yep. So that is us done. Oh, so you said you had two reasons for picking this episode. Oh, yes. Amy knows I'm a really big wrestling fan and we were really, 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 really upset by the whole Bray Wyatt again. It's going to be a week or two out because of the timing of of recording, but the Bray Wyatt situation. Bray Wyatt was literally a horror icon in wrestling. I mean, if he didn't do wrestling, horror would have been his his calling. And he started his career as the leader, the cult leader, uh, Bray Wyatt and the Wyatt family. So I thought, a cult story would be a nice way to pay tribute to the fallen legend Bray Wyatt who is now up there with his brother Brody Lee oh god wrestling's hard see it's not all just bumps and silly storylines no we got a lot of debts to deal with as well even though it hasn't been bad since Eddie Guerrero Eddie Guerrero was the last really tough one and then suddenly you had like 
fucking Brody, Briscoe, yeah. Bray. It was one after the other. But yeah, rest in peace, Bray Wyatt. You're a legend. On that note, see you next week. Good night. Love you. Bye bye. Okay, lady. I love you. Bye bye.